Hi everyone and welcome to episode 42 of the FFS show, a podcast about misinformation and fact-checking by The Ferret. I am your host, here again as always, Ali Bryan, and joining me is my now regular co-host, was he the best option or the only one that was available, only one that wanted to do it? It's Paul Dobson. How are you doing, Paul? I'm very well. Thank you for that big introduction there. Mm. As I say, I think I'm now in the sort of best supporting podcaster role. Uh, so yeah. I'm looking forward to that awards being introduced in next year's Scottish Press Awards. How are you doing anyway? What have you been up to? Moving house. So if you hear any banging or wardrobes or anything like that falling over or clattering about, then um, I apologise. But other than that, not very much. Well, we at The Ferret have been busy have we not? Working hard on a, a number of projects, but one specific project which you will be seeing in a national newspaper in the coming weeks. We can't announce too much about it at the moment, but we can tell you that we will be looking into the ownership of some of Scotland's cities, areas of Scotland's cities, is that fair to say? Yeah, urban Scotland, places with pavements and roads and cars and things like that. Keep your eyes peeled for that. So on this week's podcast, we are looking into an issue that I think everybody has been talking about, has seen in the media and seen on TV, the situation that's occurring with migration to the UK, particularly the controversial conditions at a migrant processing centre called Manston in Kent, and the reaction to it and controversy that has surrounded the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. So should we get into that then, Paul? Yeah, let's go for it. So Ali, tell us a wee bit about what's been in the news and particularly about the Manston Centre, which has been at the centre of the controversy. In media terms, this erupted when reports started coming out about the Manston Migrant Processing Centre, which is in Kent, and the overcrowding that was occurring there. Manston is a migrant processing centre, which is different to like detention centres. The aim of it is when migrants come to the UK via irregular routes, which we'll talk a little bit about later, they can be taken to this processing centre. What's supposed to happen is that they're given safety checks and health checks, things like that, and then moved into the official asylum system. What's supposed to happen is that when this was built is that they're supposed to be there for no longer than 24 hours. So 24 hours a century to get these checks in place and then be moved on. The capacity of the site is supposed to be about 1,600 people. I first started hearing reports about the overcrowding in July this year, but sort of middle of last month, uh, towards the end of last month, when uh, the Independent Chief Inspector of Borders and Immigration, David Neal, told MPs that there were 2,800 migrants at the centre. And then the Tory MP, Roger Gale, then said there was 4,000 at the site. So basically, it's a hugely over capacity and people are staying there for a lot longer because there's an enormous backlog in processing people and getting them into the system. In what ways are people coming over to the UK um, and why is there that backlog at Manston and is it something that's replicated across the board? So people come to the UK in all sorts of different ways. Obviously, there's what people quite often refer to as irregular and regular forms of migration so regular forms of migration are when people come they apply for a visa or they come through one of the uk's resettlement routes or whatever they come they migrate to the uk in a sort of formal way 
irregular migration is when people come in a less formal way. So essentially, there's four different ways which are commonly cited as what would make someone an irregular migrant. So that would be coming through to the UK from a recognized route and then breaching the conditions of entry. So that'd be like if you overstayed your visa or you did work that wasn't permitted, that sort of thing. Entering the UK from a non-recognized route or using false documents, that would be entering the UK via small boats across the English Channel or coming through using false documents to get through one of the port entrances to the UK. Either staying in the UK after you've applied for asylum and that's been rejected and then all your appeals have been exhausted. And then the fourth one being if you were born in the UK to an irregular migrant. What we're talking about here and what the people who end up at the Manston Processing Centre, they're usually irregular migrants, people crossing the English Channel in small boats. You will have heard that term in the media. You will have seen, seen images of it. And there has undoubtedly been an increase uh, in the last two or three years of people using that way to get to the UK. So in 2020, there were 8,000 people who were detected just coming across in this route. In 2021, there was 28,500. And up to the end of October this year, there's been 40,000 already. So this is the highest number that's been recorded. The vast majority of these people who are coming across are then applying for asylum. So they are going to the asylum system, which basically means that they are unable to work, but are um, sheltered by the UK until their asylum decision has been processed and they've either got a successful or unsuccessful decision. Okay, so you, you sort of described um, some of those migrants as irregular migrants, but I think in, mm. in other quarters, you might hear them described as illegal migrants. So yeah. what's what's the legal status of these people that come over? And is there such thing as illegal immigration or migration? The term illegal immigration is quite ill-defined and has been used it is used in quite broad ways like you hear the term like illegal asylum seeker or illegal immigration used quite broadly if you're applying for asylum there's no such thing as a legal or illegal route to apply for asylum so you don't have to apply for asylum outside of the country you're aiming for you don't also you don't actually you don't have to apply for asylum in the, the first country you come to there's various different ways in which you can uh come to the UK via an irregular route, so that means not kind of, you know, via applying outside. The UK does have certain very sort of specific asylum schemes, which people can apply for from outside the UK, but they're, they're as I say, they're very, very targeted, and the vast majority of people who come to the UK and apply for asylum, and also people who get successful asylum claims, don't come through these routes. So the UK has signed up to the 1951 United Nations Convention relating to the status of refugees, which means that the route that you come to the UK via, be that irregular or regular, doesn't mean that you're an illegal asylum seeker. So you can apply for asylum within the country, even if you've got there through a non-regular route. Okay, that's interesting. And we've heard quite a lot about where these migrants are coming from. And there's obviously been a lot of a lot of stuff said about that. So is there any information mm. about that, um, specifically about sort of Albanians? Because I know that's been something that's been mentioned a lot in the news. Looking at statistics up to the end of June 2022, which is when the last officially sort of credited statistics go up to the end of June, um, the largest number of people claiming asylum in the UK are from Iran, um, which is about 10,700 claims. Then Albania was second and Iraq was third uh, in terms of people who are claiming asylum. But for those who are crossing into the UK on small boats, uh, the highest number up to the end of June was uh, from or people from Albania, and second was from Afghanistan and then from Iran. The number of Albanian people who are traveling across the UK in small boats has increased a lot since 2018. And the first half of 2022 saw more than double the amount of Albanian people who are crossing 
than the previous year. And how does that situation compare to other EU countries? Because obviously this isn't a UK only problem. It's certainly something that's around the, U- the European Union as well. So how does our how does our backlog, how do our asylum figures stack up? If you're judging the UK by sheer numbers, then in 2021 it had the fourth highest number of asylum applications in compared to EU countries plus Switzerland, Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway. So that's EU plus EEA plus Switzerland. It had the fourth highest number of applications in 2021, and it accepted 13,000 applications, which is the sixth highest in this area we just talked about. But if we adjust for population size, the UK only has the 18th highest. So it's only granted two people per per 10,000 of its population for support, which puts it way down compared to other countries in the EU area. In terms of asylum applications, which are both received and the ones that are granted, Germany has by far the highest, both applications and the grants of asylum, followed by France, then followed by Spain. So that's interesting. So despite sort of the, the media around it at the moment, it's certainly we're certainly not alone in that. And we're certainly not abnormal either. Yeah, well, the thing that, that if you look at the things that have increased like most significantly in this area, it's yes, there's been a significant increase in, in people crossing in small boats. There does appear to have been some sort of offset on that because fewer people are crossing via other methods, so via lorry and via, via ports. But it's the amount of people that are actually getting their decision and how long it's taken to give people their decision that seems to be causing the prop causing the massive backlog. So it's an administration problem almost as much as a. Yeah, there certainly appears to be an administrative slowdown in the process, which means that people are sitting in the asylum process for a lot longer than they previously would have been. That's all we've got time for for this week's episode. Thank you to Paul for your continued co-hosting, really growing into the role. You'll be taking my spot as the number one, I imagine, in coming weeks. I'll be sort of transitioning into the background. Yeah, proper cuckoo situation going on just now, I think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, We have a number of different projects, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, that are coming to fruition. But one that has already begun is our Mind the Health Gap series. We began with a explainer on health inequalities across Scotland. And we'll have a number of pieces coming out over coming months in conjunction with Greater Govan Hill magazine, investigations on health inequalities and inequality gap that exists across Scotland. The first of which was Karen Goodwin, our journalist, who is leading on this project, speaking to energy advisors who work in the Govan Hill community, who help people who are dealing with fuel poverty, which is obviously given the cost of living crisis and the energy crisis, uh, enormously important piece. So I advise you to read that. That's available on the Ferret's website, ferret.scot. And if you're in the Glasgow Govan Hill area, which some of you I know are, then do your best to pick up the latest issue of Greater Govan Hill magazine, which will feature our first pieces from the series. A lot of really exciting stuff coming up. And obviously, if you want to get in touch with us at all to suggest fact checks or give us leads for stories, the fact check email is factcheck at theferret.scot. And we've also got our new community site uh, where you can interact with our journalists, which is community.theferret.scot. So we hope to see you there. Excellent. And we will see you next time. Cheers, Paul. Bye. Bye. <laughs>